Hi, Lawrence. Hi there, Shabu. How are you going? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good to see you again. Thank you. Nice last, you. last time I saw you was uh, we had a really yummy Indian meal together right. with your brother. Yes. Uh, in Hawthorne. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, family, where you live. Just yeah, just, just tell us a little bit. Okay. So I am married to one wife and uh, have uh, four children and uh, two grandchildren. And just this weekend, we had the privilege of looking after the grandchildren for the weekend, gave my son and his wife, uh, my, our daughter-in-law, a weekend off for his birthday. So uh, my eyes look a little bit baggier than yeah. normal. That's the reason why. Yeah. And you've left your wife with the grandkids yes. so you can come here to serve exactly. Jesus. Yeah. Great. Uh, <laughs> Time out. <laughs> yeah. um, tell, tell us a little... So we asked this question for most of our speakers here, which is tell us a little bit about your faith journey. Was it... Was it a moment? Was it a, a sort of various seasons? You know, tell us a little bit. Well, uh, I'm brought up in a Jewish home, so we had a knowledge of God or a concept of God in our family, traditional Jewish family, mm. um, but never knew God in any personal way. Of course, I, I knew about the traditions, mm. that God was the God of our forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and mm. Jacob, but I didn't really know God in a personal and present way. Yeah. And... Um, the, the way that I came to faith was really, first of all, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, Louise, told me that we really should be praying, especially when I left her behind in South Africa and I came to Australia. We were already childhood sweethearts. I was 15, she was 14. Uh -huh. And uh, we made a pact that we would pray and ask God to bring us back together again. And I had a little, um, a little uh, deal with God that if he brought Louise and I back together, then I would become a good Jew and I'd bring up my children to be good Jews. That was my kind of commitment to God. Um, and he answered that in a way that I, of course, never would have ever guessed. Yes. Uh, my brother Alan, who you know very well, of course, uh, led me to faith in, in the Messiah. Oh, wow. And I, you know, at the very same time, I, my, my wife or my girlfriend back then came to faith, very same Sunday night. She was in South Africa, I was here. But God kind of entered into our lives at the same time. Wow. And uh, I, I became a good Jew, but not in the way that I expected, but through faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Awesome. Awesome. If I could say I'm a good Jew, I'm not sure. In, in the, Masi in the yes. Messiah, I am. Okay. Okay. I hear you. Um, and so in the various seasons that you've been following uh, Jesus, uh, and, and the, I know there's been things in your own life, what continues to be a truth of who Jesus is that continues to anchor your heart and soul. Well, you know, I loved the songs this morning again, and just once again, reminded of the Lord's grace. Mm. You know, he came to seek and save sinners and the lost, and I was just thinking to myself, that's me. Mm. I'm the one who was lost, and he found me, and his grace uh, really avails for me too. And uh, it's just great to be reminded of that. Mm. His grace is, is there for us. It cannot be um, uh, wasted, in, or it cannot be uh, used up. Mm. It's everlasting, and he just loves us so much, and, and that really holds me in that relationship always. Wonderful. Well, friends, let me um, pray for us and for Lawrence as well as we hand it over. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this wonderful truth and reminder of your grace in Lawrence's life, his family's life. And we pray now, uh, whoever we are, whether if we're sitting here in this auditorium, whether if we're in the portable or watching online, that you reveal more of yourself, Lord Jesus, to us. We pray for those of us who are sceptical to who you are. I pray that you would stir our hearts and warm our hearts to you, the truth. 
For those of us who have known you for many years, that we'll be encouraged and refreshed. For those of us who have gone a little bit tired or apathetic, awaken our hearts this morning. I pray for Lawrence, Lord. Holy Spirit, empower him. Uh, use him uh, to point, uh, point us to Jesus. And may you be glorified, Lord God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Over to you. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a real privilege to be here this morning. Um, I believe I, last time I was in this church was 2001, 20 years ago, uh, which is a long, long time ago. And um, it's great to be able to come back again. It feels like I've kind of known what's going on in this church through, of course, the Glasgow's and uh, knowing um, also that uh, you shared a good friend, and that was Rabbi Harold Valance, who came to faith in Jesus um, probably a uh, little earlier than 2001, probably 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. And of course, um, he was uh, a good friend of this church too, and you got to see his journey as a rabbi who came to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, so I've always had uh, this church in my heart, and it's great to be able to come and physically be here this morning, and as well as uh, with the folks that uh, are online. What unusual times that we are living in. Uh, the first time I've been in a church service where I've had to wear a mask because I've been on uh, a vacation or uh, annual leave for two weeks. And so in our services too, I guess that's what's been going on back in uh, the Holy Land. So I want to bring uh, greetings to you from the Holy Land of Australia. That is Caulfield, of course. Um, <laughs> that's where... Uh, that's the largest Jewish community in Australia, in Caulfield. We call it the, affectionately the Holy Land of Australia. And I'll tell you a little bit more why in, in a few moments. Uh, but uh, we are a ministry that's bringing the gospel to Jewish people. And I want to, since I've not been here for so long, share a little bit about uh, the work that we're doing. And then, of course, I've been asked to share on the Feast of Tabernacles, as you've just been through studying the book of Exodus, of God's uh, bringing the Jewish people out of uh, Egypt, out of bondage, and uh, through uh, the wilderness for 40 years. And so we're going to be talking about uh, a festival that reminds us of those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But first, let me share with you a little bit about the work of Celebrate Messiah. So I have a slide show for this. Uh, bringing the message to the original messengers is our Mission statement, bringing the message back to Jewish people from whence the gospel came from in the first place. And so, of course, uh, we can easily forget that Jesus was Jewish. Uh, you know, this one Jewish man once sent, said to me, I was actually handing out literature on the street, tracks on the street, some years ago, many years ago, and he came up to me and said, I know Jesus was Jewish, but then he converted and became a Catholic. And that's probably what I thought, that Jesus started the Catholic religion. And uh, we forget that, of course, Jesus himself was Jewish, and he never came to start anything new. He came to fulfill what was promised through Moses and the prophets. And so I never knew that. It was one of the things I really had to come to understand, that Jesus was our promised Messiah. And he didn't start any new religion, but he came in fulfillment of God's plans and purposes for the Jewish people. So our, our, our mission statement reflects that, that we want to bring the gospel back to Jewish people from whence the gospel came came from in the first place. So we're working now in about uh, 18 countries around the world, together with our partnership, which is called Chosen People Global Ministries, working amongst Jewish people in um, uh, wherever there's a significant community uh, of, of Jewish people who need to hear the gospel. Our focus here from Australia is the work in Australia, 
in New Zealand. You can be in the next slide. Uh, and also Russia. We're working amongst Jews in the far eastern blocks of Russia. And of course, we're really heavily involved with the work in the real Holy Land, Israel. Next slide, please. Uh, if you want to know a little bit more about us, go, go on to the websites, of course, celebratemessiah.com.au, and the next uh, site also uh, is our YouTube channel, now that, uh, of course, so much more has been done on the internet. If you want to check out more about some of the uh, seminars that we've uh, done over the last uh, year or so, and uh, some of the uh, upcoming events, please uh, keep in touch with our YouTube cha channel. You could perhaps subscribe to that. Next one, please. So work in Israel, of course, is really close to our hearts. Uh, there's a massive opportunity in Israel. There's uh, so much need in Israel in so many ways, in so many various areas of ministry there and people groups. Uh, so uh, we're actually working quite uh, extensively with Holocaust survivors. So next slide uh, is uh, something about the work that we're doing amongst Holocaust survivors which, of course, is a, a very strategic and very urgent work because in the next 10 years, we probably won't be talking about work amongst Holocaust survivors anymore. They probably won't be with us anymore. So we have a real urgency to share the gospel and the love of Yeshua, the Messiah, with them in these days. And so in Israel, uh, many Holocaust survivors live below the poverty line. Government is not able to keep up with um, uh, supporting them, and many of them... Uh, are really living with uh, basic needs on a daily basis. And this has given us a wonderful opportunity to reach out to them. And uh, we do uh, food distribution and also help pay for some medical bills and, and things like optics and stuff like that. So there's a wonderful opportunity. Plus, we take uh, Holocaust survivors on special trips around Israel. I think there's another slide. And also even uh, trips around um, uh, Europe. And uh, it's an amazing thing, taking Holocaust survivors who are from Eastern Europe back to places like Poland, and in Poland we have Christians that just love Israel and the Jewish people, and they host them in their homes or in campsites. Can you imagine that, you know, going back to Poland, which was, in fact, even today we would call it the, uh, the, big, the, the country that has the biggest Jewish cemetery. So many Jewish people died there, of course, some never got buried, of course, just went up in smoke. And so to go back to Poland and then to be loved on by, Jew by Christians, it's very powerful. And so we've been doing that kind of ministry when, of course, COVID wasn't around just yet. Uh, so uh, we also have congregational work in Israel in various places. And uh, we also have uh, work in uh, Jerusalem through a missing center and another place. I think there's a slide for it. Um, Ramat Gan. Uh, next slide. Ramat Gan is a center for uh, Jewish people in Tel Aviv, and it's a wonderful outreach amongst uh, primarily younger Israelis. Uh, keep on going. I think a little bit of information about our work in the far east of Russia. Now, there's a little-known fact that in the, in the 1920s and 30s, Stalin created an area in the far eastern blocks of Russia, so we are talking about further north than China, uh, east of Siberia, and Mongolia, uh, in the middle of nowhere, he created an area which he called the Jewish Autonomous Region. So you can have a look on Google Maps, if you like, 
Type in Jewish Autonomous Region, and you'll be taken to this place just north of China in the middle of nowhere. Uh, in those days, mosquito-infested swamplands, and Stalin gave it to the Jewish people as a homeland. So remember, this is 1920s and 1930s before Israel became a nation in 1948. So Jewish people flocked to this area, not in huge numbers, uh, but the idea was he wanted to get Jewish people out of uh, the other parts of Russia, and really there was not much there. And uh, they made a life for themselves. And we began a work amongst Jewish people in this area in 2004. We call them the lost or the forgotten Jews of Far East Russia. So uh, in the Jewish Autonomous Region, there's a place called Biribajan, as you can see on that map. Uh, and we have a congregation there. And also uh, north of Vladivostok, which is the port city, uh, we have a congregation as well. Next slide. You can see some of those. Uh, folks over there. Please pray for them. It's not been easy for them over this COVID period. And just um, right now, we are sponsoring a camp for them and their families uh, in uh, the area of Artum so that they can have a family uh, outreach camp, which we've been doing every year, but we didn't do it last year because of COVID. So we've just recently sent them some finances to be able to come together. They live in abject poverty there in far east of Russia. It's the penal colony of Russia. So it's great that we from Australia can reach out to the penal colony of Russia. It's where all the prisons and all the gulags used to be. Okay, next slide. Uh, that's the work in New Zealand. We work amongst Israeli backpackers. Israelis love to travel around the world once they finish the army, and they go in droves to New Zealand and also to Australia, and there's a wonderful way to reach out to them. Next slide, uh, just some of the lovely faces of these young Israelis. We're starting uh, work here in, New in uh, Australia too to help uh, Christians have opportunity to host Israelis in your home. So keep informed about that. If you'd like to open your home to young traveling Israelis, backpackers, we are starting a ministry called Planet Zula. Not Zulu, but Planet Zula, which means a comfortable place. Israelis know that word. And uh, it's a wonderful ministry when they are welcomed into your home and you can show them love in the name of Jesus. And they're very open and very intrigued. So keep on going. It's a wonderful ministry, so please uh, keep informed uh, with us. Yeah, keep on going to the next one as well. That's uh, some of the Australian uh, work as well. Okay, now let me take you to the next slide, which is something about Melbourne. I told you that we call Caulfield the Holy Land of Australia. Well, there really is almost like a walled city in this area. In the old days, we'd put a big wall around the city, and uh, that would be the shtetl, or that would be uh, the area where Jewish people would live. And Caulfield had done the same thing, except what the rabbis got uh, permission to do, just go back to that map rather, is erect a cable all around the suburbs of Caulfield and South Caulfield uh, and a little bit of um, uh, Brighton and Elwood and uh, some parts of uh, Hampton and Moorabbin a little bit and up to uh, Carnegie. There's a cable that the rabbis erected around the telephone wires, a special cable that designates that area as an Eruv, which is a special religious area. It's like a walled city. And within that area, there are certain leniencies for the Sabbath laws. Now, in Judaism, the Sabbath laws 
are, are multiplied. It's not just you not, shall not do work. Um, they uh, define what kind of work you cannot do. For instance, if you're, uh, if you're an ultra-Orthodox Jew on the Sabbath, you can't lift up heavy objects. You know, perhaps an iPad might be, okay, although you wouldn't be using an iPad, but heavy books or heavy uh, boxes you're not allowed to pick up on the Sabbath. But if you live in this area, you're allowed to do it. And you're allowed to push a pram on the Sabbath, which you wouldn't normally be able to do. So you can imagine all the Orthodox Jews want to live in the Eruv, which is why that area is a very expensive real estate. But there are 75,000 Jewish people living in that area, 45 synagogues, and this is the heart of where our ministry is. So we are in the heart of uh, the Eruv, and um, you can go online and check it out a little bit more if you want to. But we have just finished this amazing opportunity that God has given us to build the Caulfield Messianic Center. And uh, uh, that's the next slide, yeah. Uh, we were worshiping in a rundown church for uh, 25 years, the, uh, the Bamboro Church of Christ, and just recently we were able to redevelop that all the way through the COVID pandemic uh, of 2020. This was being built, and we're so blessed that the Lord has provided this building for us, and as it stands, it is debt-free. Unbelievable. I don't know how God did it, but He did it, and He miraculously gave us, uh, through the generosity of many believers, this opportunity to reach out in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus, to Jewish people around us in the heart of the Erev. So, please pray for us. I think that's uh, enough. I think there is a slide there uh, on, uh, with a QR code. You know, when uh, we started to use QR codes uh, for people to sign up for our newsletter, everyone looked at us as if we were crazy. No one really knew what that was about. Uh, now everyone knows what a QR code is. If you come to my table afterwards, sign up for our newsletter. We'd love to be able to send you a free newsletter so you can pray for our work amongst Jewish people in Australia and uh, Israel, New Zealand, and Russia around the world. We really would appreciate that very much. Okay, let me take us uh, to the Scriptures now because we're going to look at this Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, my message is entitled, The Gospel in the Feast of Tabernacles. And so we know that uh, every culture around the world has special holidays or special days of the year. Uh, we have birthdays. Uh, we have, of course, in Australia, perhaps more public holidays than any other nation of the world, apparently. We have uh, a holiday for horse race and for a footy match. And we have uh, Australia Day, we have Anzac Day, and just recently, of course, we had the Queen's Birthday weekend. So every culture has his special days. And so God actually also has his own special days. And he calls them in the Bible, my appointed feasts, my appointed times. And uh, this is uh, spoken about throughout uh, the book of Exodus but also in the book of Leviticus, for instance, in chapter 23, in verse 2, we read a scripture that says, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. And so God introduces to Moses and to the people of Israel uh, his special appointed time. So I wonder if you've really wished you could know what God is doing with His time. Where is God going? Who is He meeting with? Well, these appointed times are His calendar entries. We get an insight as to what God is doing, and He sets aside these special times for people to meet with Him. 
It's true that we can meet with God at any time. Uh, we have access to God through faith in Jesus the Messiah. Every day is a special day, not just uh, Saturdays or Sundays. But God does have special days that He's put aside so that we would focus on, his, on Him, that we'd do no other work, and be able to just be with Him. And that's what these festivals are all about. And so in Leviticus ch chapter 23, you'll see there are seven festivals mentioned. The last one of the year is the Feast of Tabernacles. And we read about that in verses 39 to 40. Beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of your land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. On the first day, you are to take choice fruit from the trees and palm fronds, leafy branches and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Uh, sorry about the, the, the slides didn't translate too well. Uh, quite disturbing to look at, really. But if you have Bibles, uh, you can refer to the Bible. Now, uh, I want to talk to you about the names of the Feast of Tabernacles. And from this, we can tell how important this festival is and, and also glean some uh, lessons for ourselves. First of all, it's known as Sukkot in Hebrew. Sukkot, or booths, uh, or tabernacles. And it uh, reminds us of the command of God in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 42, you shall live in booths for seven days, so your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so as you studied the book of Exodus, the Israelites, of course, came in to uh, the wilderness because they were a disobedient generation. They were cursed, really, to wander around for 40 years. And in this time, they lived in temporary structures called a sukkah uh, as an individual booth or sukkot as booths. And during this festival, uh, God tells us that this is a time to remind ourselves of His faithfulness and His provision for the Israelites. Even though they were wandering around really under a curse or under, disi under discipline, God still provided for them. The Bible tells us that they their clothes never wore out, their shoes never wore out. God provided food, God provided manna and water for them. And so God was still uh, caring and providing for His people even during this time of transition and uncertainty. And it's much like the times that we live, we're living in at the moment. Life is so transient, isn't it? Things can get turned upside down so quickly. We've just been learning this in a very difficult way the last uh, year and a half. And so when we are going through these times of transition, we can remember that God is a God that continues to look after us, to provide for us, and continue to give us the very basics of life. And uh, He is a God that never forgets us or never leaves us. And so we remember that when we look at the sukkah, when we look at this little tabernacle, we build one every year in uh, Jewish families, and we eat and sleep under those tabernacles if the weather permits. And it's a time to remember God's goodness. Perhaps at that time of the year, later, this year, September, October, actually it'll be September this year, you can go and camp out in tents and have a Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, should be fun, if the weather permits. The second name of the festival is Chag Ha'asif. Chag. Everyone say Chag. It's good that you've got masks on. So you can't spit at the person next to you when you say that. Chag. It's a, it's a guttural word. Chagah Asif, the festival of harvest, 
or the Feast of Ingathering, according to Exodus 23.16, you shall celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your labors out of the field. So Sukkot is a harvest festival, rejoicing in God's provision at the end of the agricultural year. And this, uh, I believe, is also a prophetic aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles. So the festivals of Israel, some of them look back to what God has done, and often they're also looking forward to what God is still going to do. So they're kind of prophetic. And so this Feast of Ingathering is one of these, I think, prophetic aspects. It speaks of a future ingathering of people to God, an ingathering, a revival uh, amongst the nations and amongst the Jewish people to the Lord before the return of the Messiah, I believe. Before Jesus comes, there'll be a worldwide revival uh, involving the Jewish people as well as the nations. And that's, of course, what we are working uh, towards as a ministry to Jewish people. God, God's Word tells us in Romans 11, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Well, I could really spend a sermon on this particular verse, but really just speaking about a future time when Israel will come back to God and there'll be a great ingathering also of the nations. The full number of Gentiles will come in too. So the third name of the feast is Chag Adonai, just simply the festival of the Lord. And uh, the word Chag comes from the root uh, uh, Hebrew word meaning to, be, to dance and to be joyful. To dance and be joyful. This really applies to three special festivals. The Feast of Passover uh, is a Chag, is a special festival of rejoicing. Uh, the Feast of uh, uh, Pentecost, or we call it in Hebrew the Feast of Shavuot, and also the Feast of Tabernacles. These three festivals are known as the Pilgrim Festivals, where the Israelite men were commanded to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate. The fourth name of this festival is Zaman Simcha Tenu. Simcha Tenu. Uh, Simcha Tenu is a time of rejoicing, the feast of the time of rejoicing. Actually, God commands the Israelites to rejoice. I love this. Can you see the heart of God here? He says, you must rejoice. Have a look at this verse here in Deuteronomy 16, verses 14 to 15. Be joyful at your feast. A good command, isn't it? We have to smile at the Feast of Tabernacles. You, and this is going to include everyone, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, I wish I had some of those, and the Levites and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns, for seven days celebrate the feast of the Lord your God at a place that the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the works of your hands, and your joy will be complete. I love the fact that God tells us to have a good time, to celebrate. Because uh, actually the Feast of Tabernacles is a time to celebrate God's forgiveness. We've, uh, at the time of the calendar of, uh, of the Jewish calendar, we had Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. Trumpets and Day of Atonement is all about repentance and forgiveness of sin. Then, when the Tabernacles comes, it's time for rejoicing. And that's so good for us to remember God wants us to have fun and to rejoice and to celebrate. There are times to be somber, but there are certainly times to celebrate, and this is one of them. 
And we read also when King Solomon dedicated the temple that he built for the Lord, he actually dedicated that temple at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And we read in the Bible of God's glory coming into the temple. In Hebrew, God's glory is called His Shekhinah. Uh, in English, people say Shekinah. Shekhinah in Hebrew, it's God's glorious presence came and dwelt in the temple. And uh, it, in fact, uh, we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 65, So Solomon observed the festival, that is, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles at that time, and all Israel with him, a vast assembly. And uh, when Solomon dedicated the temple, we, this is what we read. The priests withdrew from the holy place. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory, the Shekhinah of the Lord, filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you a place for you to dwell forever. And so the glory of the Lord came to dwell in the temple. And this is where we come to the messianic fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. So for us as messianic Jews, of course we celebrate these festivals, but we're always looking for the connection to our faith in Jesus as the Messiah. We're always linking it with the New Testament. And that's not hard because, of course, the gospel is Jewish in its essence. And so... How is this Feast of Tabernacles fulfilled? Well, it's fulfilled through Jesus the Messiah, who is the very glory of God, who's come to tabernacle amongst us. And this is what we read in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Also, we read in verse 14, the Word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. In the old King James, it said, he made his tabernacle among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, and you're moving over to the book of Hebrews, that's going to be an exciting series on the book of he- Hebrews. You're going to go into all this background stuff of uh, the temple and its uh, celebrations while you're studying that for sure. The book of Hebrews says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. So Yeshua, Jesus, is the glory of God in the flesh. He came to dwell or tabernacle among us, and before He left, He promised us His Ruach HaKodesh. Jesus promised us his Spirit, the Spirit of Holiness or, or the Holy Spirit. And so we as believers become tabernacles of God. So the Spirit of God dwelt in the temple, dwelt in the tabernacles, but now the Spirit of God dwells in us who believe. We become the tabernacles of God. And uh, we come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you. What an awesome privilege to have the Spirit of God that filled the temple of old to actually fill us. And it also has a terrible responsibility that we live lives that bring glory to God. Let me also just point out a couple of things at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, As it was celebrated at the time of Jesus. So go back 2,000 years when Jesus was walking upon uh, this earth in Israel, in Jerusalem, 
uh, we see in John chapter 7, Jesus going to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. Now remember, all Israelite men were commanded to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles. And so Jesus himself uh, went up, as we read in John chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. After this, Yeshua went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because of the Jews that were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Yeshua's brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see you do the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Isn't that interesting? His own brothers at this time did not believe that he was the Messiah. But, of course, James later became a believer in Jesus and wrote the book of James. Therefore, Yeshua told them, The right time for me has not yet come for you. Any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast, because for me the right time has not yet come. So Jesus' brothers are going up to Jerusalem. They say, come with us. Make a name for yourself. Come to the big smoke and show them that you're the Messiah. But then it says, having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. So he sends his brothers, tells him they're not, he's not coming, but later he does come, but in secret. And it's interesting. If you have time, read the Gospel of John chapter 7. It's a fascinating chapter because Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he causes almost a riot in Jerusalem. Some people think he's the Messiah. Some think, people think he's Elijah that's come back from the dead. Some think he's John the Baptist that has risen. Some think he was the prophet promised by Moses. And others believed he was the Messiah. These are Jewish people in Jerusalem all having a big argument as to who Jesus is. And to tell you the truth, we've been having that same argument for the last 2,000 years. All the same things. Some people said he was the, a Lord, the Messiah. Some said, no, he's a lunatic, demon-possessed. This is all going on still today. But many Jews, even back then, came to believe that he was the Messiah. Why? Well, let's have a look to see what he said at the Feast of Tabernacles. There are two special ceremonies that were, uh, that were celebrated in the temple at that time. One was the water libation ceremony, or the water pouring out cer ceremony, if you like. In Hebrew, it's called the Nusuch HaMayim. It was a special ceremony, a joyful ceremony. And since rain was so essential at, uh, uh, in Israel for the grain of, of crops, uh, of course, rain was prized. So this time was a time of praying for rain. And the water drawing ceremony was a joyous occasion. What would happen is for the first six days of the festival, a priest would go down to the Pool of Siloam. So if you ever come with me to Israel, I'll be able to show you the Pool of Siloam. It's actually been excavated more and more every year. It's just not exactly there, a little bit past that spot. This actual picture is uh, the opening to Hezekiah's Tunnel. That is a hand-hewn tunnel through this, through, uh, under Jerusalem. And you can still walk that tunnel. It still has Mayim Chaim, living water going through it which is from the Gishon Spring. It's quite amazing. Who's done that? 
Okay, Ooh, it's one of the best things you can do in Israel. So you come through the tunnel and you come to the Pool of Siloam. A priest would come down from the temple and with a golden pitcher in his hand, take water from the Pool of Siloam and walk back up to the temple. As he would be walking up, there would be hundreds of worshippers going up to the temple with him, all shouting and singing and blowing the shofars and shouting a prayer. The prayer is like this. Hoshiana, Hoshiana, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna isn't a chorus. Hosanna is a plea for God's salvation. It literally means God save us. God save us. God save us. So they're all shouting that as the priest goes up to the temple and he pours out the water into a basin on the, on the southern side of the altar. That is what the priest would do for each of the six days. But then came the seventh day of the festival known as the Great Hosanna Day, the Hoshana Rabbah. The priest would draw the water and go up to the temple, but before pouring it out, he would circle the altar seven times. Every time he went around, the shouts grew louder. The shofar blasts of the ram's horn grew louder. Everyone was shouting, save us, Lord, save us, Lord. And this is what we read in the scriptures uh, on the greatest day of the festival. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last, and, uh, so the, on the last day of the festival, the Hoshana Rabbah, the great Hosanna, Yeshua stood and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him keep coming to me and drinking. Whoever puts his trust in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within him. You see, the pouring out of water was an allusion to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the time of the Messiah. All the Jewish people understood that. And as Jesus proclaimed, come to me and drink from me and you'll never thirst again, everyone understood that he was claiming to be the promised Messiah who will give us the Holy Spirit. And so in John chapter 7, you see this uh, argument break out in the crowd as to who he is. Finally, the other most outstanding celebration at the Feast of Tabernacles was the illumination of the temple. The temple was lit up by gigantic candelabras. So you know the seven-branch menorah. Well, at the time of Feast of Tabernacles, they would light a gigantic one and the temple would be lit up. Can you imagine? Everything is dark in the clear Judean sky, but only the temple is lit up at night. And you could see that from miles and miles away. In fact, the uh, traditional rabbinic writings, the Talmud says, there was no courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up with the light at the libation water well ceremony. So it was a time of light. What does the light represent? The glory of God the Shekhinah, His glorious presence. And so, it was in the brilliance of this glorious lit temple that Jesus proclaimed to all those around Him, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, a very clear claim, really, to be the Messiah, the one who brings light into the world. And so Jesus really fulfills every expectation of this Feast of Tabernacles, Tabernacles. He's the glory of God who is tabernacled with us, and He is the one who comes to bring light to the whole world. And then there is a future fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles, a future fulfillment that is spoken about in uh, the book of Revelations. In Revelations, uh, verse 21, 
Revelation, I should say, singular, in chapter 21, speaks of the final fulfillment. And let me read these verses as we close. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God, see the tabernacle of God, is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, for the old order of things has passed away. So that's the final fulfillment when the Messiah himself, Messiah himself comes to tabernacle here on earth and transform this world from this temporal world with all its sicknesses and struggles and pandemics and uh, wars and all the th terrible things that bring bitterness and tears to our lives that will all come to an end because God will make this world new. He will recreate this world and bring a complete new order of peace and joy and we will all be in His presence forever. And so we should be longing for that final fulfillment of this Feast of Tabernacles when the Messiah tabernacles with us permanently and we'll be in His presence forever. And so uh, these are some of the thoughts from this Feast of Tabernacles, but they're good thoughts. Uh, not only does God provide for us and look after us, even while we are living in temporary shelters and tabernacles or our bodies are very fragile, there's a hope, and that is the coming of the Messiah and the end of all suffering and an end of all pain. And even as the Apostle, tell, Apostle Paul tells us, we'll all receive a new body. And more and more, I'm looking forward to that. So let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your promises to us and for the hope that we have as believers, that this world is not just simply um, going to peter out and, and, and that we all just simply disappear, but there is a hope there is a blessed future that you have for each one of us as we trust in, in you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that in this time of transition and pain in this world that we're living in, living in that we can remember and have hope of a blessed future to come when, Jesus, you come and tabernacle amongst us forever. And so, Lord, we're looking forward to that day. Help us not to lose faith. Help us to continue to be strong and continue to believe. So we ask this in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.